this is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. I myself felt like I crashed into this weekend with exhaustion. I work over at School of the Ozarks, and man, I don't understand the magic or what is taken out during that first week of school of all involved, but it is a monumentous endeavor to get that whole school thing going back, and I'm super thankful for the weekend. However, in preparation for school, uh, I have two boys currently at SFO, and Hudson's going into second grade, and Boone's going into first grade. And a couple weeks ago, before school, that ball started rolling. I just asked him, I said, hey, fellas, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear what you're excited about this year. Love to hear what, what, you, what, what gets you up about your excitement about school starting up, or maybe some things that you're nervous. Now, had these conversations totally separate of each other. Their answers were pretty much the exact same thing. And if you could guess what the number one reason or excitement that they're excited to go back to school as a first and second grade full boy, their number one answer was recess. Now, that's a gut punch to me, right? Because I, as the assistant principal who directly oversee, you know, basically their day-to-day life, I'm thinking, of all the children, my kid's favorite thing is recess, Ah, okay, so I'm going to give him a second chance, right? I'm going to give him a second opportunity to give me an answer like math <laughs> or this great book that we're going to read, you know? But no, the second answer was food. <laughs> I'm like, if you guys are not answering like boys, you know, like cheese. So I even endeavored on a third opportunity to make me feel good about what we got going on at SFO. And they said, they're friends. And I gave them, I was like, okay, relationships were good. Love that, love that about you. But something interesting actually came up that I had not yet heard from them when I asked them what they were nervous about. When I asked them what they were nervous about, my oldest son, you know, very firstborn, everything detailed, wants to know everything that's going on, wants to have it all lined out, very quickly responded, well, I'm very nervous because in November, we're going to start writing cursive. (laughs) And I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to write cursive the right way. I was like, wow, (laughs) okay. Didn't know cursive was that scary. Um, My second son Uh, gave a similar answer in a similar direction that he was nervous about spelling tests. Uh, First grade, they start in on that and and his sweet, gentle disposition was just nervous about spelling tests. There are assessments in school. Many of you are thankful that you're out of school and there are no longer those types of assessments. But we know that there are many other assessments that are a part of our lives day to day, even post-education. Today, we'll be tackling the parable of the sower found in Luke 8, in which Jesus, I believe, presents us with an opportunity for an assessment of some sorts. See, there are those whose job title is actually an assessor, correct? They are the ones that come and tell you the value of a home. Put it another way, they reveal to the homeowner what that house in the market is currently worth. 
There are medical assessments where we go into the doctor and we have some ailment or something going on. We have an idea, but the master, the expert, tells us what's really going on. They reveal to us what's going on in here. A couple weeks ago in preparation for school, we decided that a personality assessment would be a good project for us, learning more about our colleagues and who they are and how they work. But that personality assessment, all it does is reveal to us maybe some things about who we are. And what do I think the best part about that is actually going to uh, my teachers and saying, do you see this in my life? Is this a strength of mine? Is this a weakness of mine? How could I work on that? They, in turn, are the eyes that I need in the revelation of maybe how I work, my personality. All assessments have a master or an expert that reveals something. Very much that is the point of homework or tests, correct? The student comes and puts forth what he knows, and the teacher grades it in a response of saying, I understand this, I'm the master of this, and I'm revealing to you what you do or do not know. For assessments, there are masters. These assessments can be super helpful, can't they? But they can also be really hard. It can be hard to hear some of the news that comes from those that understand these assessments. But today, Jesus, I believe, puts forth a parable in which we are to assess the state of our hearts. Not how well you write cursive or how valuable your things are or your medical situation or what kind of personality you have, but the nature and disposition of each of our hearts. See, Jesus is chiefly concerned about our hearts. Scripture is replete about the importance of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Jesus later talks about this concept of the heart and the importance and its role. But the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I've been um, toying with this idea of picking three or four books and having them be read every year for many years at the same time. I'm not yet got there, but there is one book that I have committed to in that, and that is a book entitled Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's by Paul David Tripp. And it is twofold for me in that, yes, I am a parent of three and I need a reorientation often to the way in which I deal and discipline my own children. But even as my role at SFO, as I work with children, when sin pops up in their own lives. And an illustration that I think does a great job encapsulating both of these verses and truths is this found in his book. And that is, is from the heart, behavior overflows. What we say and do is a direct correlation from our heart. To give you a really easy example about this, Paul David Tripp talks about this, in that when Jimmy hits Timmy on the playground, it's very easy for us as parents or even as teachers to go and assess 
why you hit that child. Just don't hit, don't punch. I know you wanted the soccer ball. But rather, we should care far more about the frustration, the anger, the jealousy, the coveting that is happening here rather than how that transpired as an action. We deal with this and this will take care of itself, not the other way around. Just easy thought here. What have we gained in disciplining a child if we just said don't hit but the same instance occurs and that child still walks away with anger, frustration, resentment, jealousy, coveting. Nothing has changed. Just the behavior has been modified. The behavior has been modified and in regards to shepherding a child's heart, we go to the heart and deal with the heart first. Now, every time I read that book, I always kind of throw it down at some point and say, you stop that. Because if you've read a parenting book, ultimately you go, hey, listen, book. We're here to talk about the sin in my own child's life, not mine. Stop that. But inevitably, I'm changed. I'm reminded. I'm transformed by the reminder of the importance of the heart. Not only of my child's, but of my own heart. Jesus is talking about the heart today. He consistently talks about it. And today we are answering the question, um, as our title would communicate, hearts ready to receive. Maybe this is a question you've asked yourself or that you noticed, but why is it that the same, just thinking educationally, a teacher gets up and gives the same explanation of a math concept, and yet so many of the students take that in different ways. Some are confused. Some are not paying attention. Some want to know, but still don't understand. And some totally get it and are ready to move on to the next concept. A tricky question we can ask ourselves is, why is it that some soil produces good fruit when other soil doesn't. This could be a simple Ag 101 question that they actually attack, right? What does good soil look like and what does bad soil look like? But Jesus uses this idea of good and bad soil or, um, yeah, good and bad soil here in regards to the nature and disposition of our hearts. And in this parable, he uses God's word to represent the seed. Our hearts are the soil. Why does transformation happen in some people's lives when hearing the truths of Scripture? And why does it do nothing other than in one ear and out the other for others? As we read this passage today, I ask that you begin to prepare your hearts for an assessment. A revelation of what is going on in the soil of your heart. We're going to read the entire passage and, and then go through it a little bit by bit afterwards. But we're going to jump into Luke 8, 4 through 15. And we're going to read all the way through. It's not a, not a hard text. Simple text, but here we go. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came... 
to him, he said in a parable, Jesus that is, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, keep this, verse 9, keep it in the front of your mind here, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. One of the most simple principles to public speaking that you would find in any intro class would be the idea of knowing your audience. Good speakers have a grasp at who they're speaking to. And Jesus does this perfectly. There are pictures and stories that simply highlight when these fails of public speakers don't know who they're speaking to. And one of my favorites happens to be from uh, a story about an individual who was working for Coke. And uh, they sent him over to Saudi Arabia to put together a marketing campaign for a new kind of Coke beverage pretty simple idea. He had three pictures presented in this marking campaign to sell this new type of Coke. The first picture and poster uh, illustrated a man lying in a hot desert in the sand, exhausted. The second picture was then a picture of this in individual drinking a nice, refreshing Coca-Cola. And the third picture was this man being refreshed and replenished, feeling good. The individual did not know his audience for the product was not moving. It was asked why. And he came to find out that he made a major mistake. For unlike uh, we do in America where we read a picture or text from left to right, those in Saudi Arabia read from the right to the left. So to put it another way, what those in Saudi Arabia saw was a man totally being refreshed, then drinking a Coke, then lying in a desert exhausted in sand. He did not know his audience. Jesus, however, does. <laughs> and he presents the crowd with four soils that encompasses each and every individual's possibility of where their heart lays. 
Not only does he do that, but he also gives them a story in which they would very well understand to a point. For those in Galilee at the time would have all been very familiar with farming. The story is quite simple. A sower goes out with seed and throws it among many different soils. Some produce fruit, some don't. Not that crazy of a story. However, the one piece that would have piqued their interest would have been in the harvest and the ratio of the harvest. The passage says that it yielded a hundredfold, far exceeding any return that they would ever see when they scattered their seed. Now, very quickly after this, we see that the crowd is no longer a part of our story. But we see these individuals named the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and they come up and they say, Jesus, we don't understand. How can this be? Explain this to us. They are curious and all but a subtle bit in the passage, I think, reveals quite a bit about what Jesus might say good soil is. Their curiosity has led them to dig deeper, no pun intended, into what the passage of Scripture means. One of my favorite quotes regarding this idea or concept comes from Alistair Begg in which he says, we will never get to grips with a message of Christianity from the safe distance of a detached curiosity. The disciples were curious. The very people walking with Jesus were the very people to come up after he gives this parable and says, Jesus, we don't understand. Tell me more. Explain what you mean by this parable of the sower. What do you mean by these four soils? Well, we will take the rest of our time here to go through each of those soils and see how Jesus explains it. This assessment of each of our hearts, I hope, um, is beneficial for us. And so we turn to verse 12 in which Jesus explains the first soil. The ones along the path are those who have heard God's word. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These individuals' hearts are careless with God's word. They care not for Jesus. They care not for him on the cross, but come for various reasons, whether just to be entertained to hear why everybody's coming from city to city about who Jesus is and this message he has. And they stand in the crowd. The devil comes and takes this good word away from their hearts as he whispers lies. These lies maybe look like things that have been said. You don't have to listen or accept this. You don't need saving. This is not true. The next one, that's probably not true. This message that Jesus is giving, you don't need it. I'm here for the entertainment. I'm just here to hear, I'm just here to see what God, what Jesus is saying. Everybody's talking about it. People are coming from far and wide and finally, I'm not in need of a savior. The lies of evil ones speaking to the hearts of those in this soil believe they need no savior. They are not saved They've not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they move on. The next soil that Jesus describes and explains is those that fall on the rock. 
Verse 13 says this, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. They may once say, Jesus, you are Lord. But at the first sign of any pushback, any testing, any trials, revert back to their old ways not living in a life transformed by Christ on the cross. I've always loved Ted's illustration that he gives in which he talks about the us bus, right? All of these things make up, uh, you know, me, scripture, truth, tradition, experience, reason, and emotion. And every time I think about this passage, I always think that Jesus is talking about those of somebody whose emotion is driving the bus, they say the words, they've accepted Christ, they experience this conversion, their emotions are living on a high, they love that feeling, and yet when they get back into life and things aren't going the right way and all their problems are not fixed, they're back down in the valley, struggling. I saw my first car wreck about a month ago. A man was on his cell phone and he was... I saw him from here to the back of the auditorium. I was driving, and he swerved three, four times. His end was flipping over into the ditch upside down. I pulled off, grabbed my phone, 911, ran over, and thankfully there were four individuals already on top of it. Driver was out of his car, stunned and shocked at what had just transpired. A mother was ripping out the passenger door in the back seats, and two men were on the back kicking out the back window, busting it out, ripping everything out. I didn't know what we were going to uncover. The mother ripped open the door, to, and we found two boys strapped in their car seats hanging upside down. They came out and were in shock. Every time I think about my emotions driving a bus, I think about that car wreck. For I know even my emotions are just so finicky. They're all over the place. And when my emotions drive the bus, there can be a lot of damage. Emotions can get me in damage when I am led by those. When I was speaking with my friend about this passage, he said something that I thought was very good. He said, as Christians, we start with what we know, not how we feel. That's why memorizing God's word is so important. That is why memorizing and reciting things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or worshiping together, we start with a proclamation that, Lord, you are king. And then we come in humility with our hearts. Lord, here I am. Here I am. We start with what we know. The third soil is in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. One of uh, the best things that I have read or an idea that has really helped me in my own life um, uh, comes from St. Augustine. And in this, he talks about this idea of ordo amoris. Forgive me, any Latin instructors out there, if I mean, you know, didn't say that right. 
But Ordo Amoris rightly translates or loosely translates to rightly ordered affections. This idea of rightly ordered affections means that the right things in the right way would be ordered in my life. When I think about this passage or this soil, it is this, that the cares of my life would take precedent over Christ. Paul David Tripp talks about this idea of there being a throne in our hearts. And we must decide who will sit on that throne. Is it riches? Pursuing all things, all items, hoping they would bring joy, peace? Is the pleasures of life that God has given us? See, God has given us all of those things. But unfortunately, sometimes they can be way out of whack in our life. Are, are these things rightly ordered in our lives? And when they are not, they choke out the gospel. These weeds can rightly keep us from hearing God's word. Rightly keep our hearts from receiving when God speaks. We finish with the good soil here. Oh, Weed Seed Bank. Thank you, Katie. I happen to work on the second floor of the Youngman Ag Department at College of the Ozarks, which means I had the opportunity to sit down with one of the professors, instructors down there, and say, teach me about good soil. Teach me the difference between good soil and bad soil. I'm thankful he said I got halfway through soils once, so I added that to my resume. But he talked about this concept of a weed seed bank. The idea that a garden, that there is a weed seed bank. This idea that when weeds come up and we pull them, I like in my naive mind that that weed is gone. But that's not true. There are seeds that fall and others that are spread that other weeds keep coming from those, other, those, those weeds that I pulled. Over time, as we continue to pull these things, just like in our hearts, look, there's a lot of things that I love that I can very easily find their way as sitting on the throne of my heart. There are many things that, you know, in a heart check, I go, whoo, this, this thing is way out of order in my life. And I must be continually thinking about the weed seed bank and pulling those things out. Lord, you're on the throne. I'm pulling these weeds that can be things that I often struggle with of putting on the place and the throne of my heart. An easy way to say, what do I care about? What do I think about? What do I love? Is a great way to reveal what that might be for you. I finished this morning with a good seed. As for that in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Oftentimes, when I want to do something, I just ask, give me the picture. Give me the picture where to go. But I think we all understand that sometimes giving a picture of what not to do can be just as helpful. When I think in terms of good soil, I revert to the other soils, the other dispositions of the heart 
What is it that kept them from producing a good fruit? The birds that come and steal the seed. The seed that sprouted quickly but had no depth to it as it was pulled with the wind and the rain. And the other seed that does not provide the right space for the seed to grow in Germany. But I want to make this point really quickly. All seed, my friend in the ag department said this, all seed needs to be maneuvered to receive good seed. And it would be very easy to believe that it is upon us doing the work to see fruit. It would be easy to believe that we are the farmers tilling and doing all these things in order that something would be produced fruit. Very simply put, good soil does nothing on its own. The soil will not produce any fruit, whether how good it is. It is only by the power of the seed that fruit and transformation happens. Jesus preaches this parable to a crowd in which he knows all four soils are present. Those that do not know him those that have not accepted his message. This maneuvering, I believe, for those that don't know Jesus, if you are assessing your heart and you've not placed faith in Christ and in Christ alone, I do not want you to get confused that there is work for you to be done. The only thing is that you come before the Lord with a humble heart. Lord, I recognize my soil is not good. I recognize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I place my faith in you, Lord. I know those individuals are in here today, and if you feel a heart tug, please know that that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about your heart soil. If you want to know more about that or want to speak more about that after we conclude, the prayer team will be up front and they would love to walk you through what salvation and placing faith in Christ alone looks like. For those that have accepted Jesus, I think this parable provides us things at which we may need to be aware of. Things that we, as the gardeners of the soil, Jesus is the one that tills the soil. His grace is, comes and turns us over that life may be had. If you have placed faith in Christ, may these be a warning to you about the fruit that sprouts from your soil. That you would not be careless with the Lord's word. That you would water it. You would hold it fast. You would value it. You would meditate on it day and night. It is not the soil where the power's at. It's the seed. Jesus clearly states that over and over again. It's in the power of the seed. I desire to finish our time together with a passage Psalm found in 139. As you have rightly or hopefully assessed your own heart and asked what soil do you find yourselves in, I want to come back to something mentioned in the beginning in regards to having a heart ready to receive. 
For all assessments have a master that come and reveal. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the expert. He desires deeply for your heart to be transformed. I want to read Psalm 139, and then I want to pray it over you. But Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous, grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. When God speaks, may our harsh hearts be ready to receive. For those who don't know Christ, come with humility. Asking for the, the gospel of Jesus to till your heart that it may receive the seed of God's word. Let's pray. Father, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.